Hello again. In this session, uh, we're going to be considering the letter to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. I would remind you to start with that the book of Revelation is written in the apocalyptic style, which means that almost everything that is mentioned is a symbol of some deeper truth or more practical issue. So do bear that in mind. Now I'm going to read the letter Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, and I'm using the New King James Version. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well now, <clears throat> this letter is written in the same format as the other six letters to the churches of Asia Minor, which is nothing to do with the modern continent of Asia, but was a relatively small Roman province occupying roughly the western half of modern Turkey. And the letter, like all the others, begins with a self-introduction by the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, who is 
dictating these letters to the Apostle John, who is to copy them down and include them in the entire book of Revelation, which he will complete and send to all seven churches. I, I should also point out that uh, this does not mean that there were only seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, it simply means that these are the churches in the major cities of that province. And there were no doubt many, very many, small satellite churches that had been planted uh, from uh, these central large city churches. <clears throat> now the introduction that the Lord Jesus uses of himself in uh, this particular letter, which is the letter to the church in Sardis, is quite brief. To the angel of the church in Sardis. Now, I must pause there to remind you that the word angel in the Greek simply means messenger. And while it is usually used to describe uh, messengers of God who, who are supernatural, it is sometimes used simply in its basic sense of messenger. John is not having to send this letter and the whole book of Revelation to some supernatural being. He is simply sending them to the messengers of the churches. That is to say, those in the churches who were responsible for bringing God's message, the message of the gospel, the apostolic gospel, to the church. And the Lord Jesus says that he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now these introductory comments or descriptions are taken, of course, from the first chapter of the book of Revelation, as is the case in all of the introductions to the churches. And this one is quite brief. Christ says he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now the seven spirits of God is a symbol or metaphor for the one Holy Spirit. You can see that in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation uh, because the seven spirits of God are mentioned alongside God the Father and God the Son. And the word seven simply defines perfection. It's a Bible number that has a meaning and it is the number of perfection. So the seven spirits of God simply mean that the Lord Jesus Christ has 
possesses the total and perfect knowledge that is available to the Holy Spirit who is of course everywhere and therefore able to see and know what is going on in every place. So Christ has perfect knowledge of what is happening. In fact, he follows with these words, I know your works. And that knowledge is not a remote knowledge, it is an intimate knowledge of what is going on in the church at Sardis. I know your works. Now the seven stars, the, that metaphor or symbol is explained in the opening chapter of the book of Revelation. And the seven stars are the angels of the churches, the messengers of the churches. And the fact that we are told in Revelation 1 that Christ holds these stars in his right hand can be both an encouragement to the messengers if they are doing their work well they know they're in the hands of the living God but it can also be a warning because it means that the Lord Jesus Christ can do what he will what he purposes with those who are not doing the job they are called to do which unfortunately was the case in the church of Sardis so then the letter itself begins I know your works that you have a name a reputation that you are alive but you are dead well now that is a, a very uh, trenchant statement and we need to understand what it means here was a church that looked fine on the outside a church that was no doubt prosperous well attended popular and accepted uh, as something valuable in the local community in Sardis it was a church with a good reputation but not a church that was spiritually alive and the way for us to understand this was that the church had become socially alive acceptable prosperous and well reputed as a social center but that spiritually it was dead there was no spiritual life or as we shall see there was very little spiritual life the spiritual life had not disappeared completely now this i'm afraid is very relevant to our present situation uh, throughout the western world at least which is the one i know 
there are many churches, in fact one might almost say the majority of nominally Christian churches, which fall into the same category as Sardis. They have become social centres. They have been centres of activity, performing no doubt very good works, but not having at the heart and core of those works the glory of God, not proclaiming the apostolic gospel. And that is something to give us great concern. It is also something to make us take notice of the letter to Sardis, because we'll see here presently that the glorified Lord Jesus Christ provides a formula for the revival of dead churches. And there are enough dead churches around us today, in the Western world at least. I can't talk, speak for uh, the uh, churches in the Far East and so on, uh, but there are enough dead churches around us today to show that this is something that we need to take heed to. So, how does he continue? In verse 2 he says this, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard hold it fast and repent now there is a formula if you like a list of things which need to be done at sardis and can be done in order to restore it to spiritual health and here they are number one be watchful number two strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die three remember therefore how you have received and heard Next, hold fast, and finally, repent. One, two, three, four, five actions, which he calls upon the church at Sardis to implement. And we're going to look at those in this session because they are things which will apply to dead churches today or churches which in spiritual terms are ready to die. The first of these instructions or exhortations is be watchful. Now it's really quite interesting that watchfulness 
is a theme to be found throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, there were there were watchtowers. There were watches on city walls. And uh, we have the concept of the watchman. Uh, Ezekiel, for example, Prophet Ezekiel was commissioned to be a watch person, a watchman. And he was to keep watch over the people of Israel as a prophet. And he was to warn them. He was to exhort them. He was to call upon them to return to the living God, to Yahweh. And yet, of course, they did not. And God said, well, you've done what you can. And I absolve you from the blood of this people. They will bring destruction upon themselves. But you have done your job of being a watchman. We have the same idea, uh, the same concept of the importance of watchfulness when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his, before his crucifixion. And he took the disciples with him, or some of them, and he told them to watch and pray lest they enter into temptation. Well, of course, they fell asleep, and they did enter into temptation. Uh, Can you not watch with me one hour, he says, as he found them sleeping. Uh, Back in the Gospels, of course, we have parables that relate to watchfulness. The parable of the uh, uh, virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come and and they suddenly found they didn't have oil in their lamps. They were not watchful. And there are other examples. But particularly, I draw your attention to Peter's statement, uh, who who says, Be sober, be vigilant, uh, for your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Watch therefore. Watchfulness is a Christian responsibility and it is a particular responsibility of those who lead churches, of the angels as it were, of the church at Sardis and the other churches. They are to watch They are to keep watch, and that is where they had failed. They had not kept watch. They had not guarded the gospel. They had not warned their people as they moved away from a Christ-centered ministry to a social-centered ministry. It had just been a matter of drift, I'm sure, but they found that being social and welcoming to all comers was a formula for success in an outward sense. They got more people to come, they got more money given to them, they got the applause of the society in which they lived. 
They were not persecuted like other churches were because they didn't watch and preach the gospel. Well, the second uh, step, if you like, in, in this recovery project is to strengthen the things which remain. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. And that, of course, means that there were some things that Christ could commend that were still alive, that were still present. But he has to add that these things are ready to die. Now, I think the likelihood is that there were a small number. In fact, later in the letter, he says that there are a few names, a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. So there were a, a, a small number of people who were faithful to the apostolic gospel, who, who maintained the teaching and the practice of the apostles, that it is set forth for us in the New Testament scriptures. There were these small groups, perhaps just one group, that remained. But even that was ready to die, possibly because it was made up of older believers who could remember, as we shall see in a moment, uh, the way the gospel had come to them in power. And they were dying off. Or perhaps this small group was diminishing because some of the members were simply giving up and going uh, or trying to go to other churches. I don't know what options they had in those days. They didn't have motor cars and they could climb in and go over 10 miles to another church. So that, that was the situation. Now the leaders of the church in Sardis are told to be watchful and the whole church of course goes for all of them and they were to strengthen the things which remain. Now this small group or these small groups of people that were faithful to the gospel were probably sidelined even despised. They were probably thought of as old-fashioned, out of date, and unable to keep up with modern developments in ecclesiology and church government and so on. And so they were ignored. But now the leaders are told to rediscover these groups and to recognize their importance to the church. They are the things which remain, the only things that the Lord Jesus Christ could commend. And so they are told now to, to turn around and, and give respect to these groups and encourage them and strengthen them, which is 
no doubt foreign to the inclinations of the leaders, but, but here they have the Lord of Glory telling them to do that, because that is their responsibility if they are leaders of a church. So they are to seek out these remaining things and encourage them, seek to give them greater strength, greater influence within the church. Now the third exhortation in verse 3 is remember therefore how you have received and heard. Now the ministry of memory is also a very important aspect of scripture, Old and New Testaments. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses tells the people, you shall remember how the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. You don't forget it. You shall remember how he allowed you to be hungry, suffered you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you do not did not know, neither did your fathers know. Uh, he wants them to remember those things, to remember God's dealings with them in the past. And the reason he gives is this, that you should understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now that's a lesson we've got to learn. Financial and social prosperity in a church, popularity in a church, numbers attending that church, they are not what Christ is looking for. He is looking for people who have not forgotten the gospel roots from which their church sprang. He's calling upon them all to remember how it was they received the gospel and heard the gospel, to remember with what enthusiasm with what relief at the knowledge that has their sins could be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. To remember the teaching of Christ and the Apostles and to put those memories back into effect. To take them out of the display cabinet, if you like, and put them to work in real life and especially real church life. Now this ministry of memory is, is important. Peter, in his first epistle uh, in the New Testament, says, look, I'm going to remind you of things you already know. And why should I do it? Because you forget too easily. And, and that is both a rebuke and an encouragement to us today. We should remember, we should remember personally how we came to know Christ. We should remember the initial joy 
of salvation and the peace that flooded our hearts perhaps when we understood that we have been forgiven for Christ's sake through grace, saved through grace. And uh, we should bear that in mind. We should remember perhaps how the church we belong to was founded or planted. But we should remember that it was planted in the name of Christ and for the sake of Christ. It was planted that Christ might build his church. It was planted with the flag, if you like, the banner of the apostolic gospel, the New Testament gospel. And they are to remember, and not just remember as some ancient history, but remember it in the sense of restoring it. And therefore he goes on with the next exhortation, hold fast, hold it fast. What you remember, I want you to practice. You've got to put it into practice. You know, a lot of Christians delight in, in reading the stories of past revivals, and delight in reading the writings of, say, the Puritans, and others of the past delight in remembering how gloriously the gospel spread uh, not only in the days of the early church but in times of revival the great preachers of the past uh, we remember these these things we remember these people but but what are we doing with those memories are we simply saying, oh dear, those were the good old days, we shall never see them again? Or are we in faith going forward, thinking, believing and proclaiming that what God has done once, he can do again? And then finally, there is the injunction to repent. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Now, you may think it's strange, perhaps, that the command to repent didn't come right at the beginning of this list. Surely that was the big issue. They, they needed to repent. And that means, of course, to change their mind to change their approach, to change their attitude, to turn from the, the superficial Christianity of popularity and social-centered activity to the old gospel. Why, why didn't the Lord say right up front, you've got to repent? Well, I think the answer is this, that that in commanding them to repent, he is actually summing up these various steps that have to be taken if the church at Sardis is to be restored from being a church which is socially alive but spiritually dead to one that is spiritually alive, effective and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there we are, the formula for reviving a dead church.
be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Remember how you received and heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Hold it fast, put it into practice now, and repent. Change your whole attitude. Return from pleasing yourselves and preening yourselves in the knowledge that you're a popular, well-funded church that everybody likes. Turn back to the old ways. Turn back to the old gospel. Bring again that apostolic gospel of which the Apostle Paul could say to the Thessalonians, our gospel came to you not in word only, about in power, in the spirit, and in great assurance. That's the gospel we need today. And we can have it if we put our trust in the Lord our God, the sovereign God, who rules on high, but who looks very often at the churches and has to say, I have not found your works perfect before God. Well, we'll leave it at that for this session. We'll continue studying this letter.